How hard is it to think right, to think accurately, to think correctly, to think with integrity? How hard is it to control the mind and think biblically? You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's today's message. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It's just good to be with you guys. And I am thrilled, Pastor Dan's in Washington. He's going to straighten it out. A vote for Pastor Dan is a vote for truth. Pat, I can see see the signs in your front yards now. Pastor Dan for president... You're going, so you think you're going to be vice president? Never. I don't want to be vice president. Who would that be, though? Let's pick somebody out in here. Hmm. Let's leave that to God. But I, I think it's uh, Matt and I were praying before the worship time. He said, oh, he's up on the hill of corruption. <laughs> and I said, we all know that. There's a hill of corruption everywhere in our lives, right? We all know that we struggle. We all know that we sin. We all know that we have issues, and surely Washington does, and but I love Pastor Dan. I know you guys love him. As Matt said, he's a good friend. He's the chairman of our TD ministry board. We're thankful that you guys love us and have partnered with us. We have been gone for seven and a half weeks overall. Speaking, training, equipping at Spring Arbor University's Conference Center in Michigan. And we've loved the privilege. It's a great gift to do that. Now we're home. Last Sunday night, I was in Ohio speaking. We were there together, and now we're back. And you've got to put up with me for two Sundays. Well, yeah, some of you going yay, some of you going, oh, Lord Jesus, please bring Pastor Dad back. Deliver us from this man. So it's really a privilege to be with you. Last time I was here, I got through and I walked to the back and Matt Hoffman grabbed me and said, you didn't walk off the platform. He said, that's not like you. I said, well, Pastor Dan said I couldn't move from behind. They were videoing or doing something, so... But when that frees up, when that frees up, get the, get the video cam on the room. I'm moving. So uh, that's what we're good today. I can move around. All right, I just have to be careful I don't fall. You know, it's, we don't want to be doing that. So I want to do this. If you take your Bibles, open them to Philippians chapter 4. We've got two weeks. So today's just introduction. We're just going to do this by way of introduction. Philippians chapter 4. And verses 1 through 9. We are not going to go through every verse in this chapter or these nine verses. I'm going to focus on basically just a couple of them, but I just want to set it up with by this way of introduction. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. You've got a loving apostle who cares deeply about these people at Philippi. He's like the tough guy apostle, yet he's the lover apostle. You know, Paul really gets a bad name. It's like, man, he's just a rough guy on people. Now you listen to these words and you go, well, he loved people too. Sometimes you got to be lovingly rough and roughingly loving. goes both ways. So Philippians 4.1, he says, therefore, now look at the words, my brothers whom I love and I long for. Brothers, I love them and I long for them. That's pretty good from a guy everybody beats up on and says, he's a tough guy, where's the love? 
Well, there it is. He loves them. He longs for them. And he says, my joy, looking eschatologically to the future, my joy and my crown. So they give him joy. And then he says this. Here he is. Stand firm. Now, if we were at home acting this out with our grandchildren, and we were reading this, Linda acts it out sometimes in our little worship family times, and then they'd expect her to stand firm and stand, stand firm. She couldn't sit there, and I thought, well, that'd be fun this morning. Have all you guys just stand up and stand firm, and I thought, no, don't do that. That probably wouldn't be good. But you get to stand firm, thus in the Lord, and then he says again, my beloved. I love you. You're my brothers. I long to be with you. You're my joy. You're my crown. You're my beloved. These are great words of uh, affection, great words of endearment, great words that says this tough, bald-headed old guy, you know, writing this to them from a prison cell in Rome, loves these people dearly, and he wants the best for them. It's really a letter of thanks. They supported him financially in his ministry. They cared for him greatly. He wanted them to go through life with joy. It's mentioned over and over. It's a, it's a little epistle of joy. I want you to have joy. Live for Christ. Have joy. He knew they were going to suffer. He was put in prison there, remember? And he was silent at him. They broke out into a little rap thing in the, in the jail cell there singing out. And the guy said, hey, what do I do to get saved? So he understood these people. He loved these people, cared for these people, and he wants them to stand firm. He wants them to be tough within the Lord, truth, and not compromise. And then he deals finally with a couple quick little housekeeping issues. He says, I entreat or plead, I beg, Yodia, and I entreat Syntyche, would you guys please get along? Would you agree? In the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. I'm not going to explain all this because this is not where we're focusing. We're getting to where we're going. Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, Evangelion, the story of redemption, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. I love them. I long for them. They're the beloved. They're saints. Their names are in the book of life. But once in a while... They are just so human, they just argue. Probably at a church board meeting or committee meeting or something, you know. Never happens, right? I've been in ministry 40 years. My dad was a pastor. I've been around, I'm telling you. But he says, come on, love each other. Your names are in the book of life. And then he says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say Rejoice! Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph. Oh, I'm the only one, okay? I'm not ashamed. You're saying, but Chuck, that's really not what it means in the Greek language. In the Greek language, it means you can be absolutely solemn and still rejoice. That's true. You can have a solemn, grumpy little face... Full of Jesus and still be rejoicing in your hearts. But somewhere there might be a smile that breaks out on that face when you contemplate enough of what God has done for you. He's saying rejoice in the Lord always. Not in yourselves, in the Lord, what he's done. 
I'm going to say keep rejoicing. Don't let it stop. Rejoicing is good medicine for the soul. Even secular psychiatrists, analysts, psychologists will tell you that. Negativity does no good. Zero. Nada. Zippo. Ripo tippo. What is that? That's some form of Greek, right? Tipolei or something. I don't know. Italian. I love that. He says this, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Be reasonable to everybody, not just in the community, everybody. Then he says, the Lord is at hand. I mean, he's coming. He's coming. Come, come. And then he says, do not. It's in the imperative mode in the Greek language. It's a command. Don't be anxious about anything. How you doing with that? How you doing? How you doing? Now I sound like Rocky Balboa preaching to you. Hey, hey yo, how you doing, huh? How you do? Don't be anxious about nothing. And most of us, if we're honest, in our little brains are anxious about everything all the time. The mind is a battlefield. And Paul transitions here and starts writing about the mind because I'm sure he struggled in his mind, don't you think? The end of his life, I mean, in Romans, oh, wretched man that I am. I can't control my flesh half the time, and I can't control my thinking, and yet there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He was kind of a spiritual schizophrenic. I think he struggled with anxiety. And that's why it pours out of his heart in inspiration. Because he loves people. He loves us. Through the writings of Theonustos, the breath of God, he wants us to not let anxiety get us. Don't be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with with thanksgiving. A man that mentored me said, don't ever pray without thanksgiving. Oh God, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. Instead of, oh God, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now can I get to my needs? He goes on and he says this. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God like he doesn't know, but he wants to hear from his kids. He's omniscient, right? And the peace, arinis, of God in the Greek language. Tranquility. Comfort from the storms. Harbor of rest. That's why if you name your kid, little girl, Irene, she's a daughter of peace. Arinis comes from the Hebrew, Shabbat, really Shalom, and we get Shabbat Shalom, which is rest. Look at this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Your mind is a problem. Your mind is a problem. I know a lot of you are going, well, it's my kids. They got the problem in their minds. And, and it's my wife, and it's my husband, and it's my neighbors, and it's my employer. I mean, they got problems in the mind, but not me. I think he's writing this to everybody, particularly the beloved, the love, the saints. He's writing it to Christians. Hermeneutically, you've got to teach the context historically. It's the family of God struggles with anxiety, depression, discouragement. And I think he did too. You study the life of the great saints. Spurgeon struggled with it. Luther struggled with it. Martin Lloyd-Jones struggled with it. Whitfield struggled with it. Wesley struggled with it. Moody struggled with it. They struggled with it. But look at this piece. 
It'll guard your hearts. It'll guard your minds. And Christus Yeshua. And then he says, finally. This is where I want to get to. You're saying, that wasn't your sermon? No, just kind of some thoughts. That's all. Thank God we got two weeks because I got to get done. Finally, brothers. Here it is now, listen. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think, 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 Oh, I'm a broken record. Think, think, think. How hard is it to think right, to think accurately, to think correctly, to think with integrity? How hard is it to control the mind and think biblically? Think about these things. The truth. Think about the honorable, the just, pure, lovely, excellence, commendable. And you're saying this to me, Chuck, how in the world do we do that when we live in a world of corruption? And we got the radio and the TV and Fox and CNN and social media. And, and besides that, we got our own flesh and we got billboards and we got, we got, we got, we got. How do we control our minds? Paul says, you got to learn to think. That sounds like it's easy, man. I mean, <laughs> a lot of us are going. I, I thought about when I was, I, I preached this at Maranatha a few months ago. And some little lady said, hey, that was really a good sermon. I said, well... Maybe I ought to do it over. Dan said, do it. He goes, my people need to learn how to think. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> Dan, if you're listening, I, uh, forgive me. Okay, he didn't say that. But we all need to learn how to think like this. Now watch this. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Think, practice. And now watch this. Now he flips the beauty of the benefits. And the God of peace, instead of the peace of God, same word, arinis, it's the God of peace will be with you. Sproul says this promise has more flavor to it than the first promise. The God of peace is going to be with you. And you're like, well, don't I got the God of peace all that? I thought the Holy Spirit indwelled me, and I'm sealed to the day of redemption. And I'm filled by the Spirit. Now listen, when I obeyed the Word of God, that's the key. Sometimes we don't enjoy the God of peace's presence with us because we're walking in the flesh, not in the Spirit. I'm not preaching at you guys. It's like, Dagnabbit, if there's a sermon for me, this is the one. Is Dagnabbit, that's not a curse word, is it? Am I in trouble? As a Christian, it's, it's, it's Greek, right? Is that Greek? Is that, I, th- I thought so, what you said. So, he, he goes off out of the text, finally do this. 
And he wants us to develop this thinking in our lives. So I've, I've titled this little sermon in two parts, A Most Profitable Exercise. But the word profitable means something that yields advantages or you get return on your money or something. If I do this, I get returns. If I do this, I get returns. Paul says if you do this exercise, you get great returns. The God of peace's presence will be with you. Now, how good is that return? That's like divine out-of-this-world banking. The word exercise is an activity carried out for a specific purpose to sustain or improve one's health or another area of life. That comes right from Webster's 1828. So we exercise, we can do it mentally, we can do it physically, we can do it spiritually, or uh, my voice teacher used to make me vocalize exercises, and I thought, this is insane, but it strengthens your voice. I studied voice for five years. My last teacher was at Trinity. The, the teacher, he was the guy who directed the Glee Club. He was in the Lyric Opera. And when he vocalized with me, it scared me. But we vocalized before we ever did anything for probably 45 minutes of vocal exercise. And then we would begin to sing. It's like a guitar player playing scales. But when we hear the word exercise, our first thoughts are usually physical, pain, suffering, misery. It's horrible. Most people say things like this. Physical exercise, when you think of it, we think of exercise, we don't think of spiritual exercise. Not even emotional or vocalizing, we think of the physical issue. I was doing a study on this, what most people say about physical exercise. Number one, they say, I hate it. I just hate it. You sweat. You stink. You're gross. I want to smell good all the time. I don't want my armpits sweating. It's disgusting. Stop that. People say this. Well, you know what? Frankly, I like to exercise, but I'm too busy with work. And I got the kids. I got the house. I got the dog. I got the cats. I got everything. And I got to exercise everybody. I can't exercise myself, so I'll just, uh, you know, I don't exercise. I got no time to care for my body. Or people say, you know what, I'm just too tired, I come home and I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm exhausted, I can't do this. Or they say, it's too painful. I agree. Anything worthwhile is usually, normally, painful. I had a buddy one time, he said, hey, I got a new USC workout on your abs. Really pump those abs, give you a six-pack in your abs there. You're not, not a beer, a six-pack of, you know, get those little muscles looking like a six-pack. He said, when you come over, I'll teach you how to do this. He goes, Linda's going to love those abs. I said, I'm all over that, baby. Add me up. Add me up. I went over there, and I thought by the time I was three, I was going to die. I said, this is what I got to do to have this? She's going to have to put up with what I got. <laughs> I mean, what, what I got is what I got. And I, I ain't got any more. I mean, I, I'm not doing this. This is absolutely insane. Or people say, I got an old injury, you know, I can't do nothing, I can't move. Uh, then the injury's going to get worse, you know. And then, or people say, I'm just too old. I'm too old. Uh, I'm beyond exercise. And you see some of these people out there, 95 years old. I just saw a thing on Gene Hackman down in New Mexico riding his bike. I don't know how many miles a day. He's 90-some years old. I'm too old, it's too expensive, 
If I start and I work out with somebody, I'll be too embarrassed. I'll be embarrassed to, to do that. They'll look at me and go, well, you're just a flabby person. You Have you never exercised in your life? Or as people say, it flat out doesn't work for me. Now, if you got your Bibles there, you do. Turn over to 1 Timothy, if you would do that just for a minute. Paul kind of agrees with this argument. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. So Paul writes here, just 1 Timothy 4, 6, about this whole physical thing. So I'm making a transition, as you can see, from physical to uh, what we need to really do here. But it's it's all pain involved. It's all work involved. It's all time involved. It's all tenacity involved. It's all of that. But Paul says this. He writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, verse 6. If you put these things, 1 Timothy 4, 6, if you put these things before the brothers... You're going to be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Oh, think about these things. Train for godliness. Think about these things. Now watch. For a while, bodily training is of... Now look at this. It's kind of a flippant. It's some value. I mean, it's got something worthwhile. I mean, it's a little... And some of you right now are going to see, even Paul says, I don't got to exercise. He says it's of some value. Some. But it's not the most important. Is of value. He says this. Bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now you go back to Philippians 4. So Paul says, yeah, I mean, some exercise is good, but it ain't the best. Godliness. Think on these things. The most profitable exercise, the best, is to think right, think accurately, think correctly. Think biblically, which is really, really, really hard to do. So he goes back to the text and he says, think about these things. And he gives us a a list of, a charter list of incredible virtues. But most of us, when we start thinking about these things, we struggle because we got other things in our head. Our minds are filled with all kinds of things. So he gives us a little bit of a promise here. He says, it's a powerful promise, and the God of peace will be with you. He says, and this is kind of like the big idea thing, if you, if you or I, if, if, we will, if we will do this, you can experience and enjoy the God of peace's presence in your lives daily. If you will do this, if you think right, if you work on godliness, if you do this exercise spiritually, you can experience and enjoy the God of peace's presence by obediently exercising this powerful biblical truth daily. Think on these things. It's a command. So I'll see if I can just touch on this quickly. So first of all, if you're taking any kind of notes, if you want any kind of notes, I'm not a PowerPoint guru, so I don't do that, but... For those who do, it's fine. But if you want to write something down, I think the first thing he's dealing with here, issue, is there is an exercise that's commanded, and the exercise is to think, and to think on these things. So if you want to go home and say, well, what did he talk about today? Well, we talked about 
Number one, think on these things. It's an exercise command. It's commanded. Paul's commanding himself, commanding believers in Philippi, commanding us today, and he says, if you do that, uh, the prophets are incredible. You're going to get something better than abs or better than biceps, better than triceps, better than pectorals, better than all of that, whatever they call your thighs, thigh modals. I don't know. You're going to get something better. The God of peace's presence will be with you. You'll enjoy that. But it takes work. So number one, he does command. The exercise is commanded. It's to think. And the definition of thinking is a process of the mind to perceive or discern or judge accurately to form a conclusion. But thinking does this. Here, listen. Thinking takes time. Thinking takes training. And thinking takes tenacity. It's a great word. So thinking, this exercise, process of the mind that takes time, process of the mind that takes training, process of the mind that takes tenacity, which simply means I won't quit. I never got the abs that I wanted because I quit. It was too hard. And if we're all honest, he writes, don't be anxious, do this, think right, think on these things. He loves them, cares for them. They're the brother, the family of God. He's saying, I know struggles are going to come, pressures are going to come, issues are going to come. you got anxiety, depression, you struggle, all of this. You're going to get persecuted. He was persecuted. You're going to get this. How do you deal with this? you got to think on these things. And then he gives that list, which we'll get to next week. But it's commanded. Some people, I wrote this in my Bible. Some people think they're thinking, but they're really not thinking. They just think they're thinking without even thinking a thought. Do you get that? That's, uh, that's one of those tongue twister things. And again, so we say that to one another. Well, you're not my, my mother when I was a kid. Said, what are you thinking about? How many times have people said to you, what are you thinking? Why are you thinking that? You're not thinking. Because the truth is, some people think they're thinking, but they're really not thinking. They just think they're thinking, but they're really not thinking. They're just tossing thoughts around in their heads, but they're not thinking because thinking takes time. Training, it takes tenacity to stay there. And it's not easy. I've got hamster head. How about you? You know what a hamster head is? If you could see my head, i got that wheel in there the little hamster runs on. huh? And at night you're going, stop, hamster, stop, stop, hamster, stop, stop, hamster, stop. And that wheel just goes because he runs faster. The more you say stop, the more he runs faster. And before you know it, you're like, ah! The hamster's got you. Anybody got hamster head? You want to confess now? I can't give you absolution, but we can. (laughs) Two o'clock in the morning is right. When I was in high school, I had a substitute teacher one day in in German. Das Wetter ist gut. Das Wetter ist nicht schlecht. Frank Franz. (laughs) Was ist das los, meiner Freund? So I, I didn't learn very much. I learned how to say to Linda, Ich liebe du, I love you. And in German, it's like, Ich liebe du. It's like you're spitting on people. Ich liebe du. It's like you've got to kiss her, you're spitting on her. It's like, my goodness, right? But we had a teacher was gone, and we had a substitute, and I was a senior in high school, and I just did not like the class, and I was a rascal. I wasn't a bad, 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 bad kid. That's not thinking right either. <laughs> I was a rascal. 
And I looked at a couple of my buddies and I said, I'm not putting up with this today. You know, Chicago, big public school, windows went all the way down to the floor. No air conditioning, everything's open. I said, come on, let's get out of here. Let's go to the locker room. They're like, what? Beckler, what are you thinking? I said, I'm thinking smart. Let's get out of here. So we just walked over the window and the teacher goes, where are you going? I said, we're climbing out the window. We're going, we're going. She goes, what are you thinking, young men? I said, we are thinking. We're out of here. Auf Wiedersehen. And we climbed out. My counselor called me in the office later that day. <laughs> and he said, Beckler, what were you thinking? I said, I was thinking smart. He said, you weren't thinking. You thought you were thinking, but you weren't thinking. You were thinking stupid or tossing thoughts. And no, I was thinking. I was out of there. She wasn't a German teacher. She taught French. And she's my substitute? I'm out. He goes, Beckler, if you don't change your thinking process, you are going to have troubles all your life. Paul says, think on these things. Think on the right things. We were, on the, we were going back to Machindo one day in, this summer and on 90, coming in Chicago. You know, get out of 50, whatever it is out there, coming in. We're, everybody's going 70. It's 70 right there. And, and I'm watching, you know, I'm watching. All of a sudden, I see this white SUV just stop on the right-hand lane, 70 miles an hour. It, it just slowed down and stopped. So I'm like, oh, man. And I could see everybody behind me in my rearview mirror kind of going, I'm going, what are they thinking? You can't stop at 70 miles an hour on 90 by O'Hare. You're dead. So I'm like, I'm not going to get, I started to pull around. And then I saw why this, I have no idea who it was, a guy or a girl. I, I saw why they stopped. There was a family of little ducks, baby ducks and the mother crossing 90. And then I said, what were they thinking? The quacks? My goodness! She stopped or he stopped so those little ducks didn't get killed. As we went by, I swerved to go around 70 and I'm looking in my mirror and then you know what I saw in my rearview mirror, don't you? Bam! 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 Metal flying everywhere and the little ducks and mama duck kept walking. Who's the quack? I mean, I get it. You're, you're going... Well, Chuck, what would you have done? Linda Edwin said, what would you have done? I said, I don't know if I can confess this publicly. <laughs> but they would have been duck soup. <laughs> I mean, come on, I saw metal flying everywhere. I get it. I'm not going to just, you know, once in a while I see a cat. I'm not a cat lover. They make me stop breathing. Once in a while I see a cat and I kind of aim for them. Let it go, stop that. I'm like, they make me stop breathing. She goes, what are you thinking? What is wrong with you? I said, I'm having fun. My little crazy mind. Studies show that most of us, most of the time, think 80 to 95% negative thoughts. That's why Paul's writing this. I know the main reason he writes is to thank them. But another way to thank somebody is to help them, shepherd them, equip them. He's thanking them for their money, their prayers, their support. But he says, I love you guys. I want you to think right. I struggle with it. Paul said he struggles with it. Most of us, I mean, studies show, even as Christians, we, we just don't think right. Most of the time we think about this, what everybody wants us to be, studies show this. What you don't have, we think about. What you fear, we think about old mistakes. We think about old wounds. We become victims. 
We think about impressing the wrong people. We think about dreams that we haven't pursued yet. We think about the big project. We think about all kinds of things. I think Willie Nelson hits it close. <laughs> Willie Nelson, the great theologian, blue eyes smiling at me. Nothing but blue eyes do I see. I think he gets it close to what Paul's saying. Once you replace negative thoughts with positive thoughts, think these things, you'll start having positive results. Thinking biblically is the most profitable exercise. We need to get back to it. We need to work on it. We just touched on it this morning. Um, Try to wrap it up next week. This is the exercise commanded, just some thoughts. Next week we'll do the exercise components. We're going to go through that list. And you're going, well, how are you going to do that? I'm a speed reader. Maybe if we don't get through it, then maybe Pastor Dan, you let me come back sometime, we'll finish it up. But I love you guys. Linda and I struggle with thinking right. You do. There were a bunch of wallabies in a zoo in Omaha, Nebraska. I was down speaking there. Got up in the morning, turned the radio on, had my coffee. But little wallabies, you know, kangaroo thing creatures. Like, they're pretty rare creatures. You know, I mean, they're in Nebraska, the zoo. And um, I heard that like 50 of them got killed overnight at one time in the zoo. I'm like, well, what, what happened? And I kept listening. It said that a pack of wild dogs got into the zoo and they couldn't get into the cage of the wallabies, but they surrounded the cage and kept throwing themselves against the cage. You know, viciously. The wallabies, now you're going, wallabies don't think. Well, I don't know. I'm not in their heads. I don't know what the wallabies are thinking about. I know this. That fear drove every one of them to slam their bodies into the cage to try to get out because they thought they were going to be devoured. Every one of them were killed. By the morning, there were dead wallabies laying there. And they said they died from fear because they thought something was going to get them. Don't be anxious for nothing. Everything. Prayer. Father, thank you for this time. Help us to just learn to think right, to to do that. Thank you for these folks. I love them. Lynn and I love them. We are so blessed with their friendship, their partnership in ministry. This is not a reprimand. This is a lesson of love from an apostle who's a lover, who says, I love you guys. Like my mom used to say, oh, Chucky, I'm not against you. I just want you to think right. I'm your mother. My father, the same thing. You know, teachers, and I would just not think right. Paul says, in love, finally, finally, those I love, I love you. You have loved me, I love you. Your names are in the book of life. I want you to make it through this hill of corruption, this world. But it takes an exercise, commanded. It takes work. It takes time, and it takes training and it takes tenacity or you'll end up with hamster head and you run and you run and you run and emotionally it destroys us. Oh forgive us and help us. And may we stand together Jesus in your name and worship. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's message. 
For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.